Dear family, we're looking at Colossians 3 this morning, verses 18, and then I will finish chapter 4, verse 1. This is the word of God. May we listen intently. Beginning in verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Lord, indeed, we bow before our master in heaven, and we thank you that you've called us to serve. We thank you that you've put us into a family. And we thank you that you've given these exhortations to us that we can now think about what that means and then apply it for your glory. And so may we be intent listeners. Uh, may we please you uh, with hearts that long to know you and to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, first of all, on page one, you notice is a two-pager. Uh, don't panic because of that. Uh, it's mostly blank spaces in there to write, write on. But on the first page, we'll be looking at four specific roles, very clear specific roles in the nuclear family. Nuclear family, you may not know that that terminology started in 1949. I didn't know it was that exact. It was used in terms of nuclear, you know, related to the atom or to a cell. But from that point, 1949 on, to now maybe it's highly questioned by general society, but uh, we're gonna talk about the nuclear family here and ways to serve in these roles in, the, in that nuclear family. And then on page two, which is on the back, uh, other ways, more, maybe a more general uh, way of looking at this, uh, to serve in this church family, to serve anywhere. So, dear family, we were, we are meant to learn how to serve, I believe, in the context of family, both families that I've talked about this morning, through our most familiar relationships uh, as we'll see first here in our nuclear families, in our homes, and then in this church family. We are meant to learn what it means to serve. And uh, we have, praise God, as our perfect example, <clears throat> our Lord Jesus. He's the perfect example of a servant. So we're still going. This is the third in the series, of my, my series of, uh, of servanthood. And Lord Jesus came, and we have in the scriptures some of his relationship with his earthly family. Uh, for example, Luke 2.51, in his obedience to his parents. And then in uh, John 19.25, in his care for mother, his mother, even on the cross. So we have his example there, but also we have, praise God, his example through the scriptures uh, with his heavenly family, with his Father and with the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. In, in other words, uh, for example, in his obedience to his heavenly father, in his submission to his father and to the will of the Godhead to die on the cross, to redeem us, to become our redeemer. Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. 
and yet equal in power and glory in the Godhead. So besides this passage here that we're looking at in Colossians 3 from Paul's letter to the uh, Colossians, there are some similar or what they call parallel passages. They are very similar and they're good to study uh, together usually if you're going into a further study in this. So there's Ephesians, uh, parallel passages, and I will refer to most of these, or all of them, I guess. Ephesians 5 and 6, 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 6, Titus 2 and 1 Peter 2. Those are parallel passages. And if you notice, I put the parallel passages just from Ephesians in in the outline there, because I'll be referring mostly to those. And it's good for us to, again, uh, compare and contrast uh, those passages. So just before this passage, in uh, Colossians, the Apostle Paul was teaching the saints what it means to put on. What are we to put on? Uh, In other words, how do we please the Lord? What are we to put on to please the Lord? Especially love was commanded there. Several of which we've looked at these uh, in the series, uh, the One Another series. But verse 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, this is in Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, as unto him. And I hope, I pray, that at the end of this sermon, we will all have a better understanding of what it means to act and to speak and to serve especially as unto the Lord. What does that mean? So Paul brings out these principles here of serving in the home this, uh, through three pairs, actually. There's three pairs. There's wives and husbands, children and parents, and slaves and masters. So we'll be looking at those three pairs. So this whole passage really is teaching about the blessing of godly submission when we serve. Again, we're talking about serving, servanthood in the body of Christ. Paul David Tripp in the the book, The Lead Book, which I've referred to before, actually in both previous sermons on servanthood, he said the call to servanthood, that means the call to us all, the call to servanthood is the tool that your Lord uses to free you, to free you from the discouraging and debilitating bondage to you, the bondage to self. Praise God, he is freeing us from that. So let's go on, let's look at verse 18. So we're talking about serving, again, in the nuclear family. Wives, this, we begin with the wives here, it's in the order, the order of scripture. Wives, serve your, their husbands as unto the Lord. In this case, in this scripture, by a submissive spirit, Serving by a submissive spirit. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Ephesians 5, the parallel passage is, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then skipping down a little bit, verse 33 says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the word submit here basically means yielding one's rights or yielding. And in the military, it means uh, absolute obedience almost. But here, the word submit is to submit to godly, God-given authority and to do so with respect. For the wife... Godly submission, it says, is fitting in the Lord. It is fitting. In other words, it's pleasing to him. And it's appropriate. In fact, it's becoming for the wife to have this kind of attitude. 
It's fitting, it says here in Scripture, as this is God's design for roles in marriage. It is also fitting, of course, and we'll look at this in just a minute, that the husband love his wife. Absolutely fitting, called. And when both are acting in this fitting way, as unto the Lord is what I mean, the family will be blessed. The family will be edified, the nuclear family. Now, in William Hendrickson's commentary on Colossians and Philemon, and those books go together, it says, a Christian wife will therefore gladly strive to regulate her conduct in harmony with this command. So she'll strive, certainly by the grace of God. It says, he said, she will not begin to think that her equality in spiritual standing before God and the great liberty which has now become her position or her portion as a believer entitles her to forget about the fact that in his sovereign wisdom, God made the human pair, this human pair we're talking about right now, in such a manner that it is natural for the husband to lead, for the wife to follow. It is when the wife recognizes this basic distinction and acts accordingly that she can be a blessing to her husband. She can exert a gracious, very powerful and beneficent influence upon him and can promote not only his but her own happiness. And praise God that he, the Lord God, determined these roles. He determined them to be a blessing in the marriage relationship and then to the family and even to the church family. It's a blessing. Wives also submit as unto the Lord and when they do that, they are, they are blessed and they become a blessing. Ephesians 5.33 ended the pas- that passage there with let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let her see that she does that. See that she respects So she has to be thinking about that, praying about that. Let her see that. She's doing that. To ask, wives, ask themselves, ask yourselves, am I doing that? In general, am am I showing respect? And then to see to it means to deal with it, to deal with it by grace, of course. But ask for counsel, to pray. Some women, of course, uh, maybe all women, sometimes, may feel it is hard to submit because they know their husband's weaknesses. They know their husband's failures. But dear family, disrespect and dishonor is not fitting in the Lord. Absolutely not. Godly submission, fitting submission to the Lord, it it does, of course, require faith in the Lord. And it does, of course, uh, require trust in the Lord and obedience to the Lord. There's a book I'd like to, actually I've been talking to everybody I can recently about this book by Bruce Ware. Um, I'm going to share a little bit more from it. It's called Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationships, Roles, and Relevance. Bruce Ware. And he says this, wives can submit, uh, I'm sorry, benefit. Wives can benefit enormously from the doctrine of the Trinity in realizing that the submission required of them as wives is itself reflective of the very submission eternally given by the Son to the Father and by the Spirit to the Father and the Son. It's good to meditate on that. In this sense, he says, God calls wives to be what he is, just as he calls husbands to be what he also is. And later he said uh, to wives in obeying this command, 
He said, it is not enough before God to simply grit your teeth, buck up, and say, okay, if you insist, God, even though I don't like it and I don't want to do it, I'll submit. That's called begrudging submission, and it is insufficient in the Lord. He pointed out that the Son and the Spirit uh, rendered and, and still render joyous and glad-hearted submission to the Father, to their Father. Begrudging submission reflects poorly, dear family, on the church's responsibility and privilege of submission before the Lord Jesus Christ. So wives, may you know the joy and the blessing of serving your husbands with submissive hearts as unto the Lord, as an offering unto him. May you know that joy and blessing. Secondly, husbands serve their wives as unto the Lord with a loving spirit. In this verse, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Do not be bitter toward them. The parallel passage in Ephesians 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. What a high bar, brothers. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, verse 28, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. So being in authority, and and that's the position we're talking about here, being in authority means there is greater responsibility and there is greater accountability to the Lord, husbands, to the Lord for those we are serving. We have accountability. And this leadership must be exercised in love is what it's saying here. Uh, It is not biblical leadership, by the way, any other way. It has to be in growing love. Recognizing that we are under authority and must ourselves also learn to be submissive to the Lord. And so the exhortation here is for husbands uh, to love their wives. It is fitting for them to do so. And it's, we are to exercise sacrificial love, the example of our Lord Jesus, as he did for us. He died for us. 1 Peter 3.7 tells us that, husbands, we are to dwell with them. We are to dwell with our wives with understanding. With understanding. Giving honor to the wife, to our wives, as to the weaker vessel. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. We must remember that we are heirs together of the grace of life. We need to receive from our dear helpmeets when they speak the truth in love to us. Really, any exhortation, even if it isn't as loving as it should be, we should receive that. And we should honor them as joint heirs of God's grace to both of us. The grace that we know in Jesus. As they, though our wives, honor and respect the leadership that we are called to exercise in love. And notice here that husbands are given uh, kind of two commands. The wives one previously. Uh, We are commanded, brothers, to love our wives. And then secondly, we're to work at not being bitter toward our wives. It's two commandments, sir. Meaning, simply, what that meant there, it means there is to treat them harshly. In Colossae at the time, at that time, women were not treated well. They were often treated more like slaves. That culture then allowed men to be uh, domineering and harsh. 
probably expected it. This uh, being bitter here also implies, I believe, uh, b- besides harshness, it, it, it implies, I think in the meaning of the word, irritation and frustration. Men, I believe we need to be quick to ask forgiveness if or when we are harsh or unloving, even, even just in the tone of our words. You know, when we, we didn't say much, but we certainly were probably frustrated. And probably our wives knew that, that we were irritated. There's a, something I like to share uh, with couples. This is from that book, Love and Respect. We uh, have it in the library, and we have the video set in the library. And um, it's kind of helpful, I think, in the context here. So let's say a wife has been hurt. She's been hurt by her husband. She can say, for example, to her husband, you know, hon, that was kind of unloving. I mean, it, that hurt. Have I been disrespectful? And the husband can say, you know, hon, that really felt disrespectful. But have, I, but have I been unloving? And I think that's a good question for husbands and wives to ask each other every once in a while, or as needed, because it is saying honestly, I have been hurt. And then it's also asking, what can I do too? You know, I have responsibility also. I'd like to read a story here. This is one I read a long time ago, and I found it again, and I thought, well, it's a tad long, but I want to read it in context of husbands loving our wives. When he was in his late 50s, there's a man named Dr. Uh, Robertson McQuilkin, and his wife's name was Muriel. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. This is some years ago. I believe the article came out in 2004 in Christianity Today. But, and that was before that article, this article was before that. So he was the president of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. Uh, he had served 22 years there. He was much appreciated and, um, you know, he was blessed. He was a great leader of that organization at that time. For several years, it says he tried to juggle his duties with caring for his wife and a very busy schedule. But uh, her condition worsened and he couldn't do both, turns out. And uh, many of his friends said, you need to just put her in a, he called it a care facility. But he didn't feel led to do that. He he just couldn't bear doing that. The thought of her being there, I mean, maybe he could have kind of gone on, but he kind of said, I couldn't bear that. And here's, here's some more, I'll say this in quotes, more what he said. He said, when the time came, the decision was firm. It took no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before in sickness and in health till death do us part? This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned, however. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn in, in, a, in a very unique way. And it doesn't tell the full story, but he was many, for a very long time caring for her. He never, never gave up till the Lord called her home. And he said, and such a partner she was. If I took care of her for 40 years, I would never be out of her debt. I have been startled by the response to the announcement of my resignation. And he said, 
in a number of ways, but two ways. He said uh, a number of husbands and wives renewed their marriage because of uh, his fuller testimony. You can find that in other places. And it says pastors told their story to their congregations, this story, which I am doing. And he said, it was a mystery to me. Why? Why is, does this have such a big meaning for people? It was a mystery to me, he said. But he said, until a distinguished oncologist who lives uh, constantly with dying people told me this. He said, almost all women stand by their men. That means they, until the end, they do all that is care and necessary nursing, all those things. But according to this oncologist, but very few men seem to stand by their women in the same way. Perhaps people sense this contemporary tragedy and somehow were helped by this simple choice, he called it. I considered this my only option. It is all more than keeping promises and being fair, however. As I watched her brave descent into death, as I watched it, he said, Muriel is the joy of my life. If I remember, there was no communication possible. It was constant care. He said, Muriel, Muriel is the joy of my life. He said, daily I discern new manifestations of the kind of person she is, the wife I have always loved. I also see fresh manifestations of God's love, the God I long to love more fully. So he learned to love, praise God. He learned to love because of the love he had for his wife. Brothers, I believe we grow in our love for the Lord in, in understanding really what love is as we grow in our love for our wives. Ask the Lord to help you in this. And when we realize what a great gift we have, I mean, they are the gift, but also it is a gift that we have been called to serve them in love. And we get to grow into what that means. What a blessing in marriage. So husbands, by faith, let's serve our wives as unto the Lord with a loving spirit, with a loving heart, uh, with kindness, rather than you know, some form of anger. So we will not exasperate, exasperate our wives as we are also commanded to do, uh, not do with our children. We'll look at that in just a minute. Okay, children, this is to you. Children, serve their parents and please the Lord with an obedient spirit or an obedient heart. Verse 20 says, children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So we're on the second pair here children and parents. This is well-pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 6, the, the parallel passage says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may lo- live long on the earth. So this phrase, obey your parents, in all things, is stronger, really, in scope, and also uses the word obey, uh, not just submit, as was given to wives. Children, if you want to please the Lord, if I asked you, how do I please the Lord? I'm sure there's many things you could tell me that you are doing, you want to do, to please the Lord. But if you do all those things, but you don't obey your parents, in other words, if your heart, from your heart, you are not obeying them as unto the Lord, 
then you will not be pleasing the Lord, at least in the way he says, in the well-pleasing way to the Lord. Verse 20 says, it is well-pleasing to the Lord to obey your parents. And children, I give this to you, Proverbs chapter six. Well, all of Proverbs, chapter six, verse 20 through 22. My son, or my daughter, I suppose, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. So certainly the word of the Lord, which your parents have been teaching you, the scriptures, is meant here. But also, I believe, uh, the words they have spoken, the principles they have drawn out uh, through your homeschooling, there are many things you could tie to your, onto your neck as you've lived with your parents, as you live with them. And Deuteronomy 6 says this, and you could look this up, please. Uh, you all know this passage, but I'd like you to look up De- Deuteronomy 6. We're going to look at verses 7 through 9 very quickly. Deuteronomy 6. Maybe, maybe many have it memorized. So this is to fathers. So I'll start that way. Verse 7 says, fathers, we are commanded, parents, we are commanded to teach them diligently to your children. In other words, the scriptures. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So children, you should learn them diligently. You should be very diligent in receiving the teaching of the scriptures from your parents. And then it goes on, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. So, parents are talking to you about these things, but you should talk with them. There should be communication, and it was what I'm saying. Ask them questions. Ask them, contribute at the family worship table. Speak and communicate to please the Lord. And then it goes on, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So in other words, children, develop the habit of having scripture all around you in any way you can figure that out. And do all you can to know them, to take it in. So there are five ways to take it in. You can hear the scriptures, you can read, study it, memorize it, and meditate in all those ways. Now your parents want you to do this. Your parents clearly want you to do this in far greater measure than they. They long for that. So I pray my children, remember remember how Sherry and I sought to teach them in the way of the Lord. We had a long lot to learn. We had a lot to learn in that process. And now most of them, I think, are maybe understanding more, a little, a bit, uh, the challenge it was for Sherry and I. Certainly it was by the grace of God, and we failed. You know, we, Sherry and I, were from small families. Seven kids? What do you do with seven kids? You know, we weren't believers in early age like our children were. We were both teenagers. Didn't homeschooling, what is that? We didn't know what that meant. I mean, we had a lot to learn. In Proverbs 4, 
This is again, it says, hear my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. That's what we're longing for. This kind of a heart. Hear the instruction of your father. I urge you. And give attention to no understanding from them. Well, the, the uh, Ephesians parallel verse tells us uh, that obeying parents is right, it says. It's right. In fact, it is one of the, the one commandment that has uh, a promise connected to it, an amazing promise. All of God's promises are amazing. But a promise to bless and prosper you and extend your life. Children, again, I'm talking to you. Or make the years of your life blessed, however many years. Matthew Henry said, dutiful children are the most likely to prosper in the world and enjoy long life. Parents must be tender as well as children obedient. So young people, children in your parents' home primarily, serve your parents with an obedient spirit as unto the Lord. So honor them, all children, all of you. Honor your parents that it may be well with you and that you may rejoice and and in being well-pleasing. It's possible for you to be well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay, moving on, fathers. Let's serve our children as unto the Lord by not provoking them, not provoking them. Verse 21 says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6, 4, the parallel verse. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So this command is to fathers as accountable to the Lord for their calling, but also, I believe, to parents in general. Matthew Henry said this, let not your authority over them be exercised, now legitimate authority, be exercised with rigor and severity, only, I think he meant, but at all, but with kindness and with gentleness, lest you raise their passions, and he by that meant emotions, and discourage them in their duty. And by holding the reins, okay, it's an illustration of a horse. So back then, he said, by holding the reins too tight, make them fly out with greater fierceness when they get free of the reins. So there's three matters I think we need to look at here. First of all, what does it mean to provoke our children? You know, how does that happen? And I'm going to be very brief here. I, it can't be extensive. It would take, I think, longer time to understand all of that, all possible applications. That is impossible. You have to ask the Lord for that. But, so, but just to be brief, a couple of words that might help to understand what this provoke here means. First of all, aggravate. Aggravate. Unnecessarily. Nag is another word. Vex, these are in your notes. Vex, and I'm not talking about robotics here. For those of you who know what Vex Robotics is. Uh, now, exasperate, though, I think is probably the more accurate secondary word. You know, you exasperate them. That's what provoke means. So, turns out, dear family, as we've been looking at recently, we can stir up to love and good works. We're commanded to do that. Or sometimes we can stir up to anger or exasperation or aggravation. Now, this could be for a variety of reasons. Again, this is not every possible way, but it could be from training or disciplining in anger. To my shame, I have done that. I have asked my children what I remember. 
that was not right. It could be uh, from a, like a continual censure. You know, it just never ends, essentially, or discipline with little approval or, or really little biblical training or admonition as to why the discipline's going on, or little grace, maybe. Now, it turns out that, it, I believe, a lack of discipline or inconsistent discipline can also provoke or irritate or frustrate. Proverbs 29:17 says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. So we're commanded to correct. There's many scriptures about discipline. Our authority is from the Lord, delegated to us as parents because we're stewards, we're under shepherds of his children. And it requires a lot of humility, I believe, and probably readiness to ask for forgiveness for the ungodly, ungodly anger or those things that I need to confess and, and repent of. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy at all. I'm not trying to discourage people who want to be parents either. It's not easy. And don't worry, I told my sons and my daughters, Jennifer's online, that I'm not going to be giving illustrations of things here. You know, we are called, though, to train our children. And praise God, as we do that, the Lord is training us. This is not to, you know, the, the training is not to gain something for ourselves necessarily, or approval. Uh, it's not to be able to say, you know, I, I think I'm doing a pretty good job as a parent or anything like that. Or our family has it pretty much together. Um, no one here can say that. But we're to be faithful with everything we got, everything God's given us. We're, we're to be faithful to bring them up and to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord. They should learn. What, is, what does it mean to fear the Lord? With the word of God, of course, is our foundation. So Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The purpose in a man's heart or the purpose in a child's heart is like deep water. Kind of tough to get to that level. But a man of understanding, or parents of understanding, I pray, will draw it out. So ask the Lord. To understand any human heart is hard. Ask the Lord, Lord, help me to understand. Help me to discipline and admonish, to teach in a way that is well-pleasing to you. So probably our greatest ministry as husband and wife, I believe, is to work hard at this very challenging task. I think part of that is our walk with the Lord. It is very important to the, as an example to them. And for example, at the family, in the family, the family worship, the time of family worship, extremely important. So obviously it requires much thought and prayer and help from others and humility and grace. It, it, it doesn't take a village but it is greatly blessed by the covenant community around you. Definitely. I wouldn't want to do this alone. Well, secondly, what, does, what kind of harm does that do when they're provoked? Okay, certainly God's grace is greater than all our sin, but what does it do? What does it look like? Well, it can make them resentful, probably, at some levels. It, again, it can exasperate them. It could embitter them. Uh, could cause them to be, you know, disheartened for a time or, or discouraged. And I guess I would encourage you, when you see signs of that, 
pray. Lord, am I communicating? Am I understanding here? You may have done exactly what you should have done in the way it should have been done. But in this case, I'm talking about a a lack of communication or uh, an understanding. We're not understanding them. We don't know how to help them. Our children can still get irritated, of course, in our discipline. They can get, even when we're faithful, like I mentioned, or if if we had it completely well thought out, and most of the time we kind of don't do that, uh, but we don't have it well thought out, our discipline, um, and even when it's loving, uh, but here I believe it's talking about excessive discipline, even destructive discipline. And if our children are provoked or exasperated, at the least we need to ask the Lord, what can I learn here? You know, what might I be doing? That doesn't mean that primarily they're having a bad attitude. And they may be rebelling. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Well then, you know, what is a better way What is God saying that we should do? Besides, we shouldn't be provoking. So rather than teaching or training that provokes to anger, provokes them to anger possibly, it says we're to bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. You all have heard that many times when we baptize our covenant children. What does that mean? Well, basically, bringing them up in the training of the Lord means basically shaping the will through discipline. I already mentioned, we're called to discipline. I didn't like that, doing that. I often wondered, am I doing this? Is this too long, too hard? You know, I was learning the whole time. Thank you, children. So, bringing up in the training, it relates to discipline. The admonition of the Lord relates to shaping the mind through your teaching. Praise God, we are teaching in our homes. So we must practice the one another's of love, kindness, exhortation, encouragement, comfort, even as we saw last week, as we teach and as we train. We can't abdicate this responsibility. And we can't hope, you know, that, oh, this will just work itself out. You know, they just need to mature. I would have to say that was primary, my primary sin in this process. I didn't deal with it head on at the time that I should have. I let things go. I don't think I abdicated, but I put it off. I thought it would be easier. That was foolishness. In Father, Son, and Holy Spirit again, Bruce Ware said, this is to fathers, as heads of their households, they could abuse their authority. They could abuse their authority in ways that would provoke their children to anger, but instead, they are to create an atmosphere where they lead their children in the discipline of obedience to Christ and in learning the teaching and the wisdom of Christ. Fathers have both the God-given mandate and the privilege of blessing their children by cultivating a home environment where children grow to respect, love, obey, and follow Christ in obedience to their fathers and in honor of both their fathers and their mothers. Again, I'm not saying it's easy to cultivate a home environment. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom. He, he highlighted also, Bruce Ware did, two Sinful tendencies, in, these are very generic, generic, I guess, but of fathers or of men. And he said, to, they're kind of extremes, but the first one would be abuse of authority. Um, not, I'm not talking physical here, and he wasn't, but abuse of authority by being heavy-handed, mean-spirited, harsh, and demanding in unloving and selfish ways. 
And then the second, on the other side, is by abdication. Abdicating or being apathetic, distant, uninvolved in giving spiritual direction. Brothers, may we serve our families actively with sacrificial love. And may this be true here, this verse, Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. May that be so. So three resources very quickly. First of all, Ted Tripp's book. Really can't say enough about this. We've talked about it a lot, Shepherding a Child's Heart. So we are called to be shepherds of our children at the heart level, which is the hardest. We have to work back, he said, from behavior to heart. And he said, this is an interesting quote. I know he has kids, so I can... He said, I am interested in helping parents engage in hand-to-hand combat on the world's smallest battlefield, the child's heart. It's a great quote. Sometimes we felt like that, right, dear? So, our role in... And he talked about two things in this book, just very briefly. He talked about shaping influences. What are the influences that are shaping your child? That's the first half of the book. He talks about shaping influences in their lives, and he talks about their Godward orientation. Talks about those. That's the main part of the first half of the book. And uh, then um, the second part is about stages, stages of childhood. Very helpful book. Secondly, I have this... Dad, the Family Shepherd, and part one, and Dad, the Family Shepherd, part two. Phil developed this many years ago, I believe, and I have some on the back table. But part one is from Ezekiel 34, and this is called Challenge to Improve Shepherding from Ezekiel 34, and it has 19 ways of doing that. Very helpful. Actually, very convicting. I try to glance at this once a year or something, and uh, okay, yeah, that's... I'm, Still trying to shepherd my family. And then part two says, marks of, marks of a good shepherd from Psalm 23. So Ezekiel 34, Psalm 23. If you want to understand, dads, what does it mean to be the family shepherd? And then the last idea I have is to review the training that we had uh, from the foxes whenever that was. 2019? I don't remember when it was. 20, thank you. So 2020. We, we don't have a recording of it. So you, maybe you can review your own notes. Uh, or there might be some others you could borrow theirs, but um, besides, we have the presenters here. There they are. Okay, so the last part, serving in the family as bond servants of the Lord as unto our master. So uh, this is talking you know, about in, in the context there in, to servants and masters, uh, slaves who serve masters. And I guess we'll relate that some in, to employees and employers. But I believe mostly I'm looking at this in general. So first, servants obey as servants of God. This is on the back page, verse 22. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. Matthew Henry said, the fear of God ruling in the heart will make people good in every relation. Servants who fear God will be just and faithful when they are out from under their master's eye because they know they are under the eye of God. So same for all of us, really. Same for children under their parents. Don't think they're, that God doesn't see, that your parents aren't seeing it maybe now. They'll probably see it later. Even employees under employers. Ephesians 5, uh, the parallel verse, 
Ephesians 6, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. Now that was added, fear and trembling. In sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service as men, ple- ple- men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. That's how we should be serving, all of us. We are all bond servants to the Lord, bond servants of Christ. And so we are to serve others with, I think, sincerity of heart. Honest, sincere hearts. As if doing it for the Lord Jesus. Doing the will of God from the heart. Other parallel passages, I'm just gonna read these very briefly. The three that I mentioned earlier that I haven't already said, First uh, Timothy 6, verses one and two, it says, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke, and we are under the yoke here, under the yoke of Jesus, praise God, count their own masters worthy of all honor. So it talks about honoring those in legitimate authority. So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. May not be so. That we, by our lack of heart, our lack of submission, our lack of wanting to do this unto unto the Lord, blaspheme the name of God and the doctrine of God. It says, those who have, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who benefit are believers and beloved. Okay, the second one is Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, means stealing things when they're not noticing, but showing all good fidelity or faithfulness, that they may, again, adorn the doctrine of God and of our Savior in all things. So may our service adorn the doctrine of God in, in those specific roles, and now this general one. May, may our service adorn the doctrine of God, adorn his name, adorn his scriptures. And in our service, I believe we have potential to adorn the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of the word of God. But also now from 1, Timothy, from 1 Timothy 6 to blaspheme it. The last one, 1 Peter 2, 18 and 19. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. So in general, whoever we are serving, whoever our master or ruler or leader or authority is, we are to obey those in the flesh. We're to to obey rightful authorities in the Lord, the ones he has placed over us, not just when they're watching us. That's called eye service but as unto the Lord with a sincere heart. In other words, no deception, not trying to hide, but it's because we fear the Lord and we know he sees everything. Your children need to understand that. Okay, late, late, uh, going on, this is to me kind of the key verse, verse 23, 24. Servants must serve in a certain kind of way, in this case, case, heartily. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So, I wrote down a few words, I think serve hardly means to do it willingly, not begrudgingly, to do it diligently from the heart. In other words, you're working hard at it, you're you're enthusiastic as to the Lord. Ephesians 6, the parallel verse says, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Again, this is in the context of an exhortation to Christian slaves, so think about that. You know, this, this verse though, I... I prayed often. When I was competing in gymnastics, this is my main verse. Every time I got out there, 
But Lord, I, I want to do this with everything I have. Hardly at serving you and not man. If I had the chance, I would testify of that. And I was able to do that, even in the school paper, other ways. And I think this is the main point for us all. The main way we are to serve in each other's roles. I think this is what it means to serve as unto the Lord, which is my main point. He is the one, the Lord Jesus is the one that we must want to please and serve. He is the reason we want to and can serve anyone. We're to serve as if our act of service was done for him, offered to him, and we're to serve with diligence. Certainly not idly, certainly not uh, in a lazy way or a slovenly way, uh, not slothfully. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether, what, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So whatever you do and however you serve, whoever you serve, you're called to serve, do it as unto the Lord for the glory of God. Do it heartily, do it diligently. Service in the name of the Lord should never be half-hearted. It should be everything you have. Lacking, it should be, never be lacking in heart or spirit. It should not be anemic or apathetic. Our service should be as excellent as we can do it, as a testimony of the grace of God in our lives. In fact, we should do more than is expected right? And I brought this little book. They have about 10 of them at the back. This is called The Habit of Going the Extra Mile. The Habit of Going the Extra Mile. I urge you to read that. It's very encouraging. But we should go the extra mile. We should know the blessings of doing more than is expected, more than is just enough. Moving on, servants are aware of their reward. It's important to know that. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. So Ephesians 6, 8 says, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In other words, without partiality. So this is an amazing statement, really. When you think about it, who, slaves hearing this, bond servants who heard this, I have a reward, I have an inheritance. Slaves didn't have anything guaranteed, barely life. So if we serve anyone according to the command of our Lord Jesus, we are serving him and we will have a glorious reward. Amazing that he gives rewards when he calls us home. And that is, praise God, the inheritance of sons. And I believe, you know, the, the Christian slaves hearing this, how full of joy were they to hear this? You know, they're serving their Lord and Master, gave them uh, in this way, gave them meaning, and uh, the Lord Jesus, but also their earthly one, gave them meaning uh, and hope to them. And then they had the joy of knowing that they have an eternal inheritance. Uh, they're sons in God's family. These are slaves. What a blessing for slaves to have that hope, that we have it. Matthew 6. The Lord told us in Matthew 6 that there is no eternal reward if done for men, if not done as unto the Lord, if carried out to be showy or to impress other people, but not to please God. So that's just, you know, a self-focus. It's like the Pharisees. He said this, this is our Lord Jesus. He said, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men or your service to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. So in other words, don't make a point of telling others how you've served, really. I mean, informing maybe, but, but you know, don't, 
try to bring attention to yourself in this manner. Do it as unto the Lord. Assuredly, he said, the Lord Jesus went on, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So what little they're going to get, they got. And they're not going to get much more from it. They'd have to do it again and again and again for that measly reward. It's fleeting, in other words. But Jesus said, but when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't calculate how to gain from this. That your charitable deed may be in secret, as unto the Lord as your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. It's a promise from the living God. So dear family, rejoice in the rewards awaiting you. Some are now, some blessings are now, but especially in heaven as you serve the Lord to please him. He is the source of true and lasting rewards. Well, finally, servants know they serve the Lord Christ. They know their master is in heaven. The scripture is, for you serve the Lord Christ. It is vital for us to know that in all service, who, remember, who we are primarily serving. This is basically what serving as unto the Lord means. We know that in all service, we are serving him, as if for him. Even when serving people, he has called us to serve. We're, we're serving to please him. So may we have this mindset and pray like something, maybe pray like this. Well, you might Pray like this. Well, I, I don't really want to serve. I really don't feel like it right now, but Lord, help me to do so for you in the manner that you would want me to do so with a right heart, with a heart that will honor you and cause others to honor and glorify you as the Lord. Great thing to pray when your attitude isn't right. So a summary of what I've just said, this last page, verses 22 through 24. This is from the Phillips version. Maybe many of you don't use that. I don't use it very often. It's a, it, initially, it was a paraphrase. It kind of became a translation from the Greek. Uh, but I kind of like this, how he has written this as a summary. Slaves, servants, your job is to obey your masters, not with the idea of currying favor, but as a sincere expression of your devotion to God. Whatever you do, put your whole heart and soul into it as unto work done for God and not merely for men knowing that your real reward, a heavenly one, will come from God, since you are actually employed by Christ and not just by your earthly master. It's a good summary, I believe. Helpful. I am not going to preach on the servanthood, on servanthood in the family of the Trinity. I added it here because it is a desire of mine that this be a future sermon. And I've referred to the book several times. Um, well, I didn't refer to Servanthood as Worship, which is the book we gave in the beginning of the year, but I have referred to uh, the book by Bruce Ware on the Trinity. So this is from Servanthood as Worship. If you haven't picked that up, um, I would encourage you to read that. He said, Nate Palmer, the Father created the world and planned salvation. The Son came to earth to redeem us. The Holy Spirit works to change us through sanctification. All three roles are necessary to carry out God's plan. Our relationships and forms of service can and should mirror this example of unity and diversity. And I would say love in the spirit. Dear family, may we serve each other more and more as a family, as unto the Lord, like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we, we do pray that we would grow in Christ-likeness, in loving service to one another, 
And Lord, that we would serve one another with willing submission as unto you, with a growing love for one another as unto you, in right obedience as unto you, all for your glory. Lord God, we rejoice that our Lord Jesus came as a servant to show us what humble servanthood is and to make it possible for us to serve one another by that same love. Lord, may we be like-minded in this and serve in unity with your heart, in your power, the power of the Holy Spirit. May we increase and abound in love and in service to all in humility. And may our unified service be more extensive and more wholehearted. And we ask this all in the name of our servant King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.